Hello and welcome to episode 65 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in Modern and Pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, how you hold it up, my friend? I've literally had the best weekend ever. The best weekend ever? I hadn't gone out in like 72 hours, just hanging out with my fiance, our cat, playing a lot of Magic the Gathering, like a lot of Magic the Gathering. I'm glad you're using this time wisely. How much food do you have for Andy? Are you stocked up? Yeah, in fact, one time we went outside, and I want to say it was Thursday or maybe early Friday, to pick up cat food, so he's he's going to be good. Yeah, I got I got 48 cans last night. That should last me like two weeks. <laughs> these these cats are hungry. Hey, Dave. Mm. You're the godfather. You're here with us. I'm always here. How are your cats doing? Or your one cat? Your cat and your dog? Knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? It's me. I'll always be there. <laughs> that was a family guy bit, I think, if I remember right. Sorry oh. for that. Oh, man. Pickle Rick, etc. Yeah, all those things. You're not going to tell us about your pets? Are you? No. I got rid of them. well the kids are home you can't have the kids and the pets it's a crowded house yeah it's tough no they're good they don't know what's going on that's the real talk you know when i'm stressed out i look at my cat he's usually curled up all cute like and i just remember he has a blissful life has no idea about taxes or mortgage sponsorships he doesn't have to worry about these things I want you guys to guess how many times I've watched Frozen 2 in the last 72 hours. Uh, four. Five. It's it's five. Oh my gosh. It's five times. Always got to one-up me. We watched it twice today. <laughs> Again. Is it, is it any good? I never saw it. I like the first one fine. Uh, the second one is, is, I think I've said on this podcast before, it's, it's better. I think than the first one is worse songs, better plot. I think it's more like an adventure movie. Okay. It's a little more fun. Does it answer any of the lingering questions from the first frozen? Yeah, it answers all the cliffhangers. Yeah. You get to find, you got some, some people coming back and yeah. How's Olaf? Olaf is good. My son is trying to, trying to sing along with all the songs now. It's pretty cute. (laughs) If you can't tell this week's show is going to be a unique one. In the past week, things have gotten pretty real, pretty real everywhere. The world over. And with the spread of COVID-19, there's been a lot of changes to everyone's daily life in ways that were previously hard to imagine. This is certainly unprecedented for me. And we hope that all of our listeners out there in the Dive Down Nation and beyond are doing well and staying as upbeat as you all can. So in light of everyone's stress levels, including our own, we decided this week's episode will be lighter, more casual, featuring a lot of fun questions from our friends and listeners You may even notice that this episode sounds a little bit different because our fearless editors over in Maine, the United States state of Maine, had to leave their studio as businesses are asked to close basically nationwide and I think in a lot of countries all over the world. So huge thanks to Portland Pod for continuing to get the job done even during these challenges. Yeah, thank you, Tanner and Lou. Right on. Um, in some positive news, uh, in the hope of giving something back 
to some of the people most impacted by all of this. We reached out to our patrons this morning. What we wanted to ask is, you know, with people being a little financially stressed, uh, you know, not certain what the next week, months might hold for them, their jobs, if maybe they work food service, all sorts of reasons, right? People are going to be stressed out right now. We asked if we shouldn't charge people for, you know, this week or so, or if we should donate the Patreon charges for this week and give those to charities that are providing meals to those most in need of food right now. Now, Shane, I think you're being a little humble. Okay. Because this was kind of your brainchild. Sure. And Stan and I were more than happy to uh, come along for the ride. But, you know, I woke up this morning and you were kind of like, we should do this. And we were both like, yes, we should do this. And then um, the community really jumped up and uh, got behind it right away. So it was great to see all the patrons do that. But Shane, yeah, give yourself some credit. Take a bow. No problem. I mean, I'm just spending other people's money, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's easy. It's easy that way. I mean, sure, we could we could you know maybe buy some mics or something like that. But uh, the response from you all in the Dive Down Nation, the Patreons, the patrons, it was immediate and clear. You wanted us to donate this cash, so we selected two charities. Feeding America and Meals on Wheels. Uh, Feeding America is a nationwide organization. What it does is it gets support from local communities, uh, the federal government, people like us, to keep low-income families supplied with food. And right now, its biggest concern is children whose schools have closed, which cuts off a major source of free and healthy meals for these kids. I I heard in New York City alone, 110,000 children get their only meal at school. Crazy. Chicago is very similar, by the way. I believe it. I don't have the stats in front of me, but yeah. Uh, And you've probably heard of Meals on Wheels. It delivers food to seniors in a safe manner. And that's really important right now because older folks are at pretty high risk of serious illness from COVID-19. So this makes sure they're not left on their own while we're all sort of hunkering down and settling in. So what we did is we donated 200 bucks to each of these charities uh, that's going to provide hundreds of meals to those most in need. So thank you all for making that possible. And listen, if you're able and would like to donate to these charities as well, or any other charity of your choice, please consider doing so. You could literally be saving people's lives right now. And sometimes we don't always realize the impact of our actions. And this is a great way to actually give back to those who have a harder time than you might. So we will still cook off the show with the breakdown of this weekend's modern and pioneer challenges. And in that regard, it will be kind of business as usual. <laughs> um, but then the dive down, we're answering a ton of questions that the dive down nation, some of our friends on Twitter and beyond submitted for this week's episode. So we can keep it more conversational and chatty. But before we get into all that, let's jump into everyone's favorite part of the show. And that's housekeeping. Well, first up, we have some new citizens of the Dive Down Nation. We've got Nick B., Isaac P., and Ian D. We're super happy to have you all with us. Also, thanks to Aaron C. for upping their patronage. And if you'd like to join our Patreon, check out patreon.com slash thedivedown, all one word. You can see all the interesting stuff, cool stuff. You can get at various tiers of support. Again, the only way we can do this show is with everyone's support out there. So thanks, as always, to every one of our patrons. Hold on, hold on. We have a lot. There's a, this is literally a few minutes ago. I didn't see it come in. We did it. Ding, ding, ding. Kip M. Kip M., thank you also for joining the Dive Down Nation. It finally happened live on air. 
on our pre-recorded podcast. We've only been waiting for 65 weeks for this to happen. Also, thanks to Mars Bars for the review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. We love feeling good about ourselves, and this helps in a big way. Finally, as usual, the dive down is brought to you in part by Manatraders.com. Manatraders.com, the best place to rent Magic Online cards for all of your online play needs. If you want to support us via them, please use the code THEDIVEDOWN, all lowercase, all one word, to receive 15% off your first three months of rentals. I heard it's a good time to sign up for some indoor activities. <laughs> yeah, you like yeah for all of our online needs, which we all have a lot more right now. I'll say. Banner Traders actually had a little sticker on their website over the weekend that it's being inundated with more activity than usual. <laughs> Although I got to say, I did not experience any slowdowns. I'm seeing more of an impact on the price of Magic Online cards than actually the service provided by Mana Traders. Yeah, didn't you? Didn't you put up like a, a thousand tick deck? Uh, Bant Control in Modern, I think, is about twelve hundred dollars. Twelve hundred tickets on on Magic Online right now. Oh my gosh! Headlined by ninety ticket copies of Force of Negation. At least this is that's that was the price Sunday when I looked, and forty five ticket copies of Ice Fang Quaddle. 45 tickets apiece. Gulp. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There was not enough Modern Horizons opened on Magic Online and it's still destroying us. They really got to get that back. Put those in some treasure chests. <laughs> Flashback that. Something. All right. So this week for the breakdown, we're looking at a couple of Magic Online tournaments that happened this past weekend and they were the Modern and Pioneer Challenges. And let's start with the Pioneer Challenge which had top 32 results. And let's start with the top eight, and then we'll talk about the broader meta of this tournament and wrap up with some takeaways for the format as we saw in this tournament. Sweet. In first place, Mono White Heliod, which is a deck that we have mentioned on the show before, but just in some general detail about what's going on here, in case you don't know, this is a combination of beatdown deck inverter hate main deck it's got a combo kill and a bunch of extra enchantments for some slight synergies but mostly value yeah really good deck i mean it's fast it's disruptive it has a lot of different angles for the opponent to try to deal with which i think is one of the hallmarks of a really good deck where it's not just a beatdown deck it's you know it doesn't only it has planeswalkers it has planeswalkers that make it hard for the opponent to win the game if they don't have planeswalker removal it has a combo kill like you said it's it's extremely good it's really hard for an opponent to come packing a plan for all of the different things that mono white can throw at you it has so many gideons it practically has all the gideons it has two gideons but in multiple copies of them Hey, sometimes there's a third Gideon, and that's Blackblade. What? Oh, yeah, Black Blackblade's pretty pretty decent. I have not seen that yet. People are running that card? They sure are. Wow. Stan's prediction eventually sort of came true. <laughs> this was another one of those uh, Pioneer or, or Magic Online challenges that has two ultimate Magic Online spikes in the top four, too, with McWinsauce in third and Galdukat in fourth. Blastoids is a player too. I've definitely seen Blastoids before. Oh, really? I'm not as familiar with them. Yeah, we got some. We got some grinders. These challenges are tough. Yeah, always good players. 
In second place, Mono Green Walkers, which is a deck that Shane had talked about a couple episodes ago in some detail. Yeah, this deck sticking around it is not a flash in the pan. I think there definitely have been times when you know a streamer or somebody posts a list. It's fun. It's cool. They may be 5-0 with it, and they post a list, and they're like, okay. And people run with it, and they're like, oh, it's, it's kind of a meme deck. This deck has been around for like a month already, and it keeps putting up results. So people like it, and I think it's quite good. What do you think its best matchups are in the meta right now that allow it to stay consistent? What's good about it, I think, is that it goes it goes over the top of a lot of other mid-range decks. I don't have a huge extent of experience against like mono white but the mono white games i have played have felt pretty on my side as a mono green walkers player i think it also you know can have a good inverter matchup um i think that it just kind of can stop lots of creature based decks unless they're extremely aggressive once it sets up though it just creates so much value and you're able to remove their creatures and kind of go over the top in the end so it's almost like you know, a, a Niv Mizzet style deck or maybe a big red style deck where it can sort of eventually go over the top of a lot of those threats. Kind of like Tron. <laughs> hmm. In third place, Mick Winsauce with blue white Heliod. So par for the course for Mick Winsauce playing a blue white X deck. This is a notable control player, especially putting up a lot of magic online results. But here they're playing blue white. Control plus Heliod combo all mixed together. We've got main deck, Teferi Time Reveler, Dragonlord Ojatai, Spell Queller, even Mystical Dispute, along with Big Teferi and Dovin's Veto in the sideboard. So unlike some of the more beatdown mono-white Heliod strategies, this version of the deck seems like it's kind of prepared to grind and interact with whatever the opponent's doing. Yeah, cool deck. I love seeing Dragonlord Ojatai. Welcome back. Please don't be $25 again. I don't know if I agree with that statement. Ojitai is kind of a pain. I'm surprised. Like, is Dragonlord Ojitai that much better than what's that new six mana blue white flyer that's terrorizing? Dream Trawler? Yeah, Dream Trawler. You know, I actually, I don't know if it is or not looking at it right now. I mean, I guess you don't have to lose a card to save it. Sure. But, um, and you get to sit there with it for as long as you want, but then you actually have to have a, a, a uh, counter spell when you attack with it to keep it up. I mean, it does cast uh, anticipate instead of just drawing a card, so or just getting bigger. So that's pretty cool. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and one mana always does matter. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Up next, we had Galdakat in fourth place with blue black inverter. This list is looking pretty stock these days to me. Yeah. How many uh, heroes downfalls and how many uh, main deck narsets are there? Two and no narsets. Ooh, two. They are up to four JVP main deck, which I know has kind of been a oh. growing number over the last couple of weeks and months. I mean, that's not quite stuck. I mean, one of the lists I recently pulled up for, was only had one in the side. Yeah, the inverter list that I was playing over the weekend didn't have any, I don't think. Seems like a little bit of a problem. Fifth place, another blue-white Helia deck. Basically the same list as McWin Sauce. In sixth place, Teamer Emerge. Kind of a spicy combination of Green Ramp plus Graveyard plus Uro and Elder Deep Fiend and Emrakul. 
You got Nissa, who shakes the world, champion of wits and satire wayfinder, as sort of your both graveyard and big mana enablers before you get your payoff out of these big, tough to deal with creatures in the form of Uro or Emrakul. Looks like a deck trying to both grind out opponents and go over the top. Sounds good to me. The Emerge decks have surprised me because they were one of the things that I think people were having fun with and sort of iterating on fairly early on in the format and then sort of disappeared. But I'm curious if there's some value left in that shell that's not really being explored. And this is definitely one way to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think the big card here for me that people keep looking at is, I mean, Kozilek's Return is really powerful and it's like a double double wrath Kind of, you know, you mm-hmm. can get a bunch of small creatures early, and then later on, you can get a bunch of big creatures. It could help you get through a gummed up board like what Mono White tends to generate, but I have not played the matchup, so I would be curious to see if it actually is helpful there. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting to see that Emerge Engine come back. Yeah, I mean, Elder Deep Fiend is the only card here that can actually trigger Kozlux Return out of the graveyard. Mm-hmm. So, just a little two card combination. Seems like it's got a pretty big payoff when it works. Well, I mean, Emrakul does too, but that's kind of a game ender in in in, in of itself. Does she? I thought only Eldrazi trigger. Uh, she is an Eldrazi. She's the biggest Eldrazi. What? Laura, my friend. Oh yeah. <laughs> Good to know who the Eldrazi are. Yeah, Eldrazi Titan. In fact, usually. Wow. This deck has five Titans in it. And three giants. Creature types are not my strong suit unless it's wizard or elf. (laughs) Noted. Or wizard elf. (laughs) Don't tempt me. Seventh place, another white Heliod deck. And in eighth place, green black Stompy. The seventh place list is pretty interesting in that it's running three Elspeth Conquers Death. Yeah. uh, Instead of some of the other like typical inclusions, like maybe like a baffling end or uh, banishing light or something like that. Yeah, well, the McWin sauce list was running one Elspeth Conquers Death in as part of its its suite there. It had Baffling End, Elspeth Conquers Death, and Stasis Near. Yeah, there's a lot of value here, but losing the two pips seems a little sketch. But you don't always really need your Heliod turned on to to win, but it's certainly helpful. Yeah. I mean it's pretty cool that that this comes can bring back either piece of the combo if you can kind of control long enough because it puts a one, plus one plus one counter on your ballista, which is kind of wild. So I'm going to read this card because I don't think any other decks in Pioneer play it besides Heliod. No, let's keep, let's keep talking about it and not saying what it does. Yeah. So three white, white for an enchantment saga. The first story is exile target permanence and opponent controls with CMC three or greater. The next chapter, non-creature spells, your opponent's cast costs two more to cast until your next turn. And the final, third chapter, return target creature or planeswalker card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Put a plus one, plus one counter or a loyal le- or an extra loyalty counter on it. That's a lot of words. I like that it brings back your Gideon. So let's say you would use Gideon of the Trials to make an emblem right away. Mm. And then your opponent immediately kills it. Conqueror's Death just brings it right back. Yeah, that might be better than it looks. I mean, it looks pretty good. So, Yeah, I think this is a card that was spoiled with a bit of fanfare and has been showing up a little bit here and there, and so it's it's cool to see it make some waves in Pioneer. I'd love to see playable sagas in general, I think. but 
I want to mention one other deck in the top 32 that jumped out to me, which was the 11th place Life Gain White Heliod Aggro deck featuring our friend from SRAMOS, Alcide of Life's Bounty, plus standard all-star Ajani's Pride Mate, along with Ajani's Strength of the Pride. So now we have a Life Gain beatdown deck featuring Heliod combo, because why not? Sure. I've actually played against a deck a lot like this, and it can just kill you with giant Ajani's Pride Mates, which is incredibly annoying. Yeah. <laughs> so annoying. I love that a Johnny's Pride Mate is a card that had to have its like text chained, ch- text changed. It was physically errated because of the way its rules impacted the arena rules engine. Let's talk about this 13th place list, though, which appears to be a heavy blue, like what, splashing green for Risen Reef, like elemental slash wizard list. So it has like Brazen Borrower, Gadwick the Wizened, uh, Master of Waves, Marvel Trickster. Also has for Risen Reef though, and for Thassa's Oracle for value. Has like a sweet, you know, various kind of like good blue instant spells for interaction. It's a couple Nykthos, a couple Mutavault. Like this is a crazy list that looks pretty untuned right now to like kind of just first glance, but looks pretty fun. Looks like you'd have a blast playing this list. Uh, you might. <laughs> Brisen Reef with only five total elementals in the main deck seems a little sketchy. Well, Matt is sort of relying on Master of Waves because it makes elemental tokens. I see. So that's kind of like your payoff. But yeah, it's still a little House of Cardsy here. But also, this card is just value sometimes. For sure. You know, like you don't have to have a Wombo combo with it to just like make it okay to play. Yeah, I mean, it's like what the what's that flying snake thing in Modern Horizons? Ice, Ice Fang Coatl. Yeah, a forty five dollar card on Magic Online. Don't forget. <laughs> yeah, that's a, is that just a rare? It is just a rare. Oh my! It is not worth forty five dollars in paper. So, looking at the top level of these Pioneer Challenge results, Heliod was actually the clear winner across all Heliod style decks, whether they're mono white or blue white. There were seven copies in the top 32. Yeah, it's a good deck. Good deck, Bron. Followed by Inverter with four copies. Seems like Inverter is getting a little bit worse in the Pioneer meta overall, or at least people have figured out how to main deck and sideboard against it. I think Heliod especially seems like a huge problem for Inverter. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this later, Stan, but I think the mono-white matchup against Inverter is, seems pretty darn good. Blue-white Control and mono-green walkers each put three copies in the top 32. And then various shades of aggro and mid-range. Either it's Stompy List, Spirits, Mono Red, or Delirium. Both put up a pair. Yeah, I think there's a lot of sort of just hate in the metagame right now, which makes sense. Like Stompy can certainly put pressure on an inverter opponent or any opponent really quickly because they're sort of leaning on Fatal Push and Thoughtseize to sort of provide disruption. And so many of the creatures in the Stompy List avoid Fatal Push. Uh, and they can get around the blockers with some of their creatures rather easily. So relying on the point removal of that inverter really wants to use doesn't seem like a really great strategy against kind of a go-wide giant creature trample over type strategy. One thing that I found really cool is that looking at these Pioneer Challenge results, there's 15 different decks, give or take, 
across the top 32, which is pretty diverse. Compared to the modern challenge, which we'll get to in a bit, that only had 20 different decks. That's awesome. That's a surprising number of decks in the modern one as well, by the, to me anyway. But but that's awesome. I mean, I, th- I think it looks like Pioneer is plenty diverse. I mean, I you know, I'm coming off of people being disappointed that there was no ban in the formats. We'll see, I guess, right? Like, I mean, I think that we kind of took, at least the three of us decided to take it on a little bit of faith that Wizards knew what they were talking about at this point and just kind of thought we would give Pioneer another shot, or at least that's what I thought I would do. And, um, you know, it is, it's looking like it's a bit more diverse than maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Does anyone else get the feeling that Pioneer is actually evolving faster than modern usually does? I guess that depends on how you define evolving, Stan. Like, do you think there's like new decks appearing, or do you think sort of just the 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 cycle of the metagame kind of having decks go up and down? What I think stands out to me is that the quote unquote best deck seems to change every few weeks. And it's not always being changed by like new sets coming out or cards being added. It's just mm-hmm. the meta seems to respond really aggressively to whenever something emerges at, at the top. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a that's that's a sign of a strong format, I think, where the decks can be very good but not too good and they haven't even had to ban much in the recent past. So I think that the the guiding hand they provided has been pretty darn good along with the response of the community and players to the metagame. Yeah, I mean let's let's not oversell it. A week ago people were thinking that uh Pioneer was completely broken because of inverter we have good distance. I think it's looking better. So um, I'm happy to see this in the challenge. And let's see what happens the next time that we get like um, Pioneer PTQ online or something like that. All right, let's move on to the modern challenge. Again, we've got the top 32 here. And let's just start with the top eight and then talk a little bit about the overall meta. The winner of this tournament was Jund, featuring three croaks of death's hunger. Yeah. And Willie Adel. I was going to say, look, it's not just Jun. <laughs> it's Jun piloted by Willie Adel. Hall of Famer. Yeah. I I don't think I know who Willie Adel is. The the best Jun player in the world. Sorry, Reed Duke. Yeah, he's he's always he's been a mid-range player. Uh he's a Brazilian Hall of Famer. He's an awesome dude by all accounts. Yeah, the heart of the South American Magic community basically. I wonder if the second place Seldrazi and Tax's opponent knew who they were sitting across during that game. I guarantee they did. <laughs> <laughs> I've played against uh, Adel online before, and he's very nice. We, ch- we talked in the chat for a minute. Oh, cool. He completely wrecked me. I don't remember what the situation was, but... Of course. Yeah, in second place, and later in fourth place, Eldrazi Taxes featuring four Stoneforge Mystic, running both Sword of Fire and Ice and Sword of Light and Shadow, along with Batterskull. I always liked the triple sword package when I was playing briefly with you know, Batter, Batterskull, Stormforge Mystic, etc. Honestly, I've been looking at Fire and Ice a little bit more lately as a way to deal with all these blue-black Urza decks. Like Urza is kicking my butt, and these swords are not doing enough against Urza. And I, I'm pretty sure the Thopters are blue. I think the Thopter Foundry Thopters might be blue. That seems interesting. The token has a bluish hue on MTGO. I haven't confirmed that, though. Hue. I'm going to take a look right now for you. It is a blue Thopter artifact. Dun, dun, dun. Blue Thopter artifact creature token. Yeah, let me tell you, nothing feels stupider than swinging with a sorted up creature 
and they're just getting chump blocked by a one one. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible. I went to regionals with Stan last week. One of the major mistakes I made was to forget to sideboard in Plague Engineer against Thopter, thinking that it just wasn't good because it's not really a creature deck. Guess what? That's what Plague Engineer is there for. (laughs) So you definitely got to figure out a way to deal with the Thopters when you're in that matchup. In third place, Bant Snow Control. Not a Stoneblade version, just Control Cards and Uro. This is the deck. This is the deck that seems to have captured everybody's imagination suddenly in the last week or so. Even patron saint of death's shadow, Michael Rapp, has been playing this deck and repping it online in the last week. Oh, no. <laughs> this is what it's come to, huh? Yeah. Fourth place, Eldrazian Taxes, as we mentioned. Fifth place, Amulet Titan, a Karn the Great Creator version. Hmm. Sixth place, it's Shane with Mono Green Tron. I wish. It's Goblin Lackey, who I'm pretty sure is another grinder on Magic Online. Could be wrong. I like the fact that Green Tron is still showing up now and then. Gives me some hope. I was hoping to take it to the store sometime recently. I just don't want to play this on Magic Online, I'll tell you that. But I was going to take it to the LGS, but that's on hold for a little while. Uh, so this version of the deck had Karn the Great Creator. Do you think that might be something that Mono Green Tron players can look to as a way to get through the current format? Current the Crate Creator package was in what probably like eighty five percent of the Mono Green Tron decks that were being played, but that was before the loss of uh, Microsoft Lettuce. And you know now we don't have lettuce, but there's still tons of stuff you want to wish for, probably. So it's like it's always helpful, and I think you know playing the great creator, even in pioneer, a format with way worse silver bullet sideboard cards, um, you know, makes you appreciate just the value that the create and Karn provides. So it makes sense to keep running it while it's working. Yeah. Seventh place, Simic Urza. And in eighth place, Eldrazi Tron. Lapslogen. Yeah. Back at it again with the e-tron. Still at it. That's great. So what's our metagame looking like in this in this premier challenge? All right, so we had 20 decks. Guess which deck had the most representation? Only 20 decks. You sure? Oh, 20 different decks. Yeah. There weren't 20 decks in the top 32. That would have been quite strange. Yeah. Did they just cut it off arbitrarily? Only 20 people showed up for this one, but we let, them, <laughs> let it fire anyway. <laughs> it was Bant Snow. Bant Snow put up six copies into the top 32 and that's a combination of the controlling version and the snowblade version interesting okay yeah it seems like kind of like it just has a bunch of pieces right bunch of good cards uro etc uro ice fang coatl sometimes you have stoneforge mystic sometimes you don't need it because sweepers are still good Teferi is still fantastic. And Jace. Jace is all over the place in control decks right now. Except in like blue moon decks for some reason. Everyone else is playing Jace where they can to accrue card advantage. And in fact, can I just say about Jace, since I've been playing a lot of Jace in blue-white, I have brainstorming more than ever. I, I've, I'm always a big fan of the Fate Seal, especially when opponent's down to one or two cards. But 
everyone is playing this one for one game in modern lately. And plus Jund is all over the place getting like two for ones like crazy. Brainstorming seems more important than ever. And unless you're playing against Mono Red, you don't have to worry about as many lightning bolts getting rid of him so fast. Now that might explain part of why all of a sudden band control is moving to the top is because if there's a lot of Mono Red around, Jace is good. Sometimes Jace can be good. But this deck is sweet. I would love to play it on online, but uh, can't rent it. It's too expensive. Oh, really? So never mind. Yeah, this is the deck that's like 1,200 tickets. Man. Yeah, this is the first time I thought that I might need a platinum account. Oh, my gosh. On Mana Traders. I mean, I don't know how long that's going to maintain, but uh, yeah, it's kind of brutal. So what's up next? We got Mono Red Prowess. So we have our controlling mid-range deck, and we have our aggro deck. That's all you need? Yeah. Done. There's a format. <laughs> we do live in a society. Book it. I like seeing dredge, a couple dredgers. Stay strong. Yeah, there's also two blue moon decks in the top 32, as well as a couple Urza decks. And then a lot of one-ofs. Blue-white control, blue-white stoneblade. Even The Rock made an appearance. Good old-fashioned green-black with main deck Plague Engineer. Wow. I kind of like main deck Plague Engineer in an Urza meta. Why not? Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of Urza in here, though, is there? There's two, yeah. Two, I mean, that's a pretty small amount. So that's just the top 32. I mean, yeah. from playing the leagues, every league, I deal with at least one Urza player. Yeah, I mean, I do think that's true. There is a lot of it online. I uh, I, th- I guess the most one of the most inter- interesting things to me still about this is that uh, Kroxa is just all over John these days. Oh, yeah. And in that top list, there's only one, but there's three of them in Willie Adel's list, which is pretty wild. Yeah, I think the average I've been seeing looks like, what, like 2.25 or something like that. Yeah, I have not got a chance to try that card out yet. I, uh, I've had it played against me a few times, but that's that's pretty sweet. It's strange to me how I, I do play some standard on Arena, uh, which we'll talk about later, but the Uro and Kroxa in standard, I don't think are that good. Mm-hmm. Like I, I play I play mono red and the... The thinking I think is is that oh Uro can can stabilize you and gain so much life, but it's so hard to get that card out of the graveyard. Yeah. Um. And in a format like modern, it's so much easier. And I think that's just it's it's such a huge delta of ease of play. It's I think they're tuned well for standard, but definitely extremely powerful in the you know the the bigger formats of pioneer and modern. Speaking of graveyard cards. How good is Ashiok Dream Render right now? And is it actually like one of the best cards in the format to put in a sideboard? It's like the new Damping Sphere. I mean, I think that card's super powerful. And uh, I don't know if you remember me mentioning, but it was played in a higher percentage of decks than Once Upon a Time was when I looked at the metadata last week before the bans. Wasn't it like the second most popular card? It was the most popular card in number of decks. It was played in less quantity in those decks. So it was kind of like lower in the power rankings, but I think it was in like 37% of decks or something like that. Hybrid mana just makes it so easy. Do you know what I mean? It it can be running decks that want blue, decks that want black. They don't have to be blue, black at all. So it's just, it, it allows it to essentially be splashed or you know it's, it can just fit in a lot of strategies it's not quite an artifact by any means but hybrid mana nice 
This is just a card that you have to keep practicing with if you have it in paper, like Narset. Like all of these static planeswalkers, like don't don't forget your static abilities and keep on top of it and make sure that you get all the value out of them because man, this card is super good as long as you can stay on top of it. And also don't cast, don't break a fetch land into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean the static abilities I think are maybe the main reason you even play these cards. For sure. Yeah, I love just that Ashiok. Not only does it deal with a lot of like the big players in the format right now, but I found that people have to kill it. Unlike something like Ren and Six or maybe Teferi Time Reveler, even like Oko back in the day, like these are planeswalkers that you could sometimes get around and maybe try to ignore them as part of your strategy. But Ashiok is so disruptive that I'm seeing people like cast price of betrayals against me to deal with my Ashioks or, or turning like multiple creatures at it just to get it off the ground because it's such a hurdle to get over. So there you go. Pack your price of betrayal. Don't want to. You saw this card in play? I did. What? In a league. Wow. And I was like, it makes sense. There aren't any huge mana planeswalkers around these days. This was one of your uh, spoilers for War of the Spark way back in the day. And when I say huge man, I meant to say huge loyalty counter planeswalkers. Sure. But like, honestly, the only thing it doesn't really cleanly answer is like the car, big Karns from Tron. Yeah. Well, it's got the right price. It's one mana. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. don't step to my big Karns. One other thing I want to point out before we get out of here, there were two former once upon a time decks in the top 32 both Infect and Collected Combo decks made an appearance. Two decks that I thought not only took a big hit from the banding of Once Upon a Time, but like once Infect in particular, I was I kind of thought the deck might be dead outright. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to lose any friends over it, but... <laughs> All your Infect playing friends? Yeah. I mean, it's still a deck that can get the job done. I mean, that's what's that's what's good. I mean, we see it's interesting that Eldrazi Tron is just a one of after being such a huge portion of a tournament much like this just a few weeks ago. The metagame in modern is unpredictable and dynamic. And I think it's one of those things where any weekend uh, one deck can take over just out of randomness, right? Potentially. Yeah, I mean, somehow we have two Eldrazi and Taxes decks in the top eight here. So like, welcome, welcome to your randomness. And it's not even the typical Eldrazi and Taxes player of, uh, who's that? What's that player, Dave? Wasn't it like a Habsburg? Dave knows him. The black-white uh, Eldrazi Taxes player is Peanips. Yeah, Peanips. Oh, okay. They always stuck with the uh, just the black-white deck. But this is not. This is also not the Thalia Stompy deck that got kind of popular last year that had Chalice of the Void and Gemstone Cavern and stuff like that. This is just mono-white Eldrazi Stoneforge Mystic, which I think is sweet as well. Um, that collected company deck is really interesting too, Stan, that you mentioned in that, you know, they kind of just took out all their once upon a times, put in Eldamri's call and are kind of just moving on. And I remember when we were testing for that deck, you, we had a lot of conversations about why wouldn't you be playing Eldamri's call? And the point, the, uh, I guess the answer is because there was a free card in its place. Yeah. <laughs> finding the the exact card is good but not as good as finding a random card for free i guess that's an interesting heuristic to remember in the future when they give us another free card probably within the year everyone overlooked the free part you know they were just like i just love tutoring five so all right that wraps up this week's breakdown it was business as usual on magic online 
But we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to acknowledge the apocalypse and talk about whatever you want to talk about. This is your episode, and we're here to spend some time with you. Stay with us. And we're back. Look, it's been that kind of week. Everyone's going a little crazy, a little stir crazy. After two days. Some of us are trying foreign accents that we have no business doing. Some of us had our children home with them while they're trying to work. Yeah, you're going to... I don't know how you're going to do anything, man. I have no idea. I thought my cat would be excited that I'm home all day, but instead he vomited on our weighted blanket. Oh, do you have a weighted blanket? Yeah, and they're hard to clean. Why are they hard to clean? Because they weigh 35 pounds, David. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't clean it like on site. You got to go to the... Can't you just get some spray and like brush it off? Yeah, but you want to rinse that spray out. I don't have a duvet cover for it. Well, so you just have a, a blanket, a metal blanket with no cover that you sleep under with your intended. Yes. Yes. Keep it in the plastic, man. Listen, first tip for surviving the apocalypse, get a weighted blanket and also put it into a duvet cover. I do like how it feels when I go to the dentist and they put like the the lead vest on. I'm like, this is kind of comforting. Is that what it's like? The weighted blanket? Totally. That's exactly what it's like. But it's heavier and softer. I don't want the soft. And it's queen sized. I want the vest. Do you think I just buy the vest? I like that Stan's number one survival tip is to not get something that's light and mobile and easy to carry. It's like, first thing you want to do, get a blanket that's three times as heavy as a blanket should be. So you can be sure to strap that to your backpack when you have to carry <laughs> coffee grounds in your uh, life straw or whatever with you. Man, Dave, this is bleak. I just read the road. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Tip number two, do not read any Cormac McCarthy right now. Let's 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 talk about some really fun positive stuff starting with tournament cancellations. Okay? Yeah, we we want to keep it light. We asked a bunch of people to send in their questions, both magic related and maybe even not magic related. And we invited people in our super secret Slack channel. We tweeted it out. I sent a tweet from my personal account saying this is an opportunity to ask me anything. The response was not as as big as I thought or hoped. What to your to your account? Yeah, just to my account in particular. Oh, it's like the dive down Twitter got plenty of responses for us to have some fodder. It's true. So let's get to it. Question number one came from our friend Emma Partlow. Right, Stan? Would you like to paraphrase the question? Basically, Emma asked what we're going to do on the dive down when we decide to cover Magic tournaments in lieu of paper tournaments because so many paper tournaments even LGS events, but even larger scale SCG and GP style events are being shut down routinely the world over. And I think the answer here is pretty simple. It's essentially what we did today. And that's probably focus a little bit more on MTGO. Perfectly good place to focus. Yeah, there's a lot of people on MTGO right now. The leagues are seeing more players than they have in like months. Do you think they are? I, was, I hadn't noticed, but... It seems that way to me, yeah. It, at least from playing during the weekend. Well, I mean, we're always happy to look at MTGO 
tournaments and will continue to do that. I think the data from MTGO is generally high quality if you are using the data that we get in the right ways. And um, yeah. You know, I don't go out to paper tournaments, so that's kind of similar for me. Yeah, same as always. I'm kind of glad to see both big tournament organizers as well as local game stores taking COVID-19 so seriously and actually doing their part to reduce the amount of time people can spend together, sort of enforcing social distancing. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's essential. I think, unfortunately, it is totally essential. But I do think it's worth mentioning here right now that you should consider ways to support both your LGSs if you want to, and also think about ways to support people like Channel Fireball and Star City if those are your preferred places to buy magic. Um, I guess if you are a CFB fan or someone who doesn't really have an LGS, you know, just maybe consider making an extra purchase from them if you have the money. Not everybody has the money right now. But all of those organizations are hurting undoubtedly from the cancellation of the events that they're doing. Similarly, if there's a content creator that you like that does coverage, someone that has a full-time job, reach out, follow, and add to their Patreons, please. I saw that in particular. The wonderful hosts of Good Luck High Five, Megan and Maria, were kind of doing a little bit of a Patreon drive. I'd encourage everybody to get in there and, and help them out if you enjoy their content. And there's a ton of great products out right now that you can get from either your LGSs or some of these online retailers. Unsanctioned came out recently, which is a pretty fun pre-constructed way to play with un-cards. Not to mention the mystery boosters just came out. And if you're an EDH player, the value in these mystery boosters is off the charts. Really cool and unique foils, really great cards. Just thought sometimes into your modern deck, but definitely into a lot of commander decks as well. Yeah, I think it's good to think about if you if you have like an LGS, you're real loyal to, and you go a couple times a week, or maybe even just on you know Friday or something like that. You can just call them up and be like, "Hey, can you put fifty bucks of store credit in my account? Like, I'll just give it to you all at once, type thing, instead of stretching out over the ne- you know last next four weeks." So, just something to give them something to work with in the near term. Use it for your your uh, tournament entries if they allow that, or something like that, or you know maybe pick up a board game next time you go in. Now's a great time to play board games if you have roommates or family or a partner who you can actually sit at a table with, who who you're forced to sit at a table with. Yeah, should we take maybe? Can we take a second to just rep some board games we like? Very into that right now, as I am here with my my uh, spouse who loves board games as well. Stan, what have you been playing lately? All right, so here's a fun game to play with your spouse, a two-person game. Super simple. It's basically like a card mental exercise game called The Mind. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of The Mind? I have not heard of The Mind. Go on. I can't go into detail perfectly. I've only played it a couple times. But basically, you and your uh opposing player it's not your opponent it's a collaborative game you try to get all the cards out of your hand without speaking and you find different ways to communicate the type of cards you have in your hand and all the cards are numbered and you're just trying to put them down in sequential order without speaking and there's like 12 or 13 levels and it's really challenging i haven't been able to get past like level eight or nine um but it's super fun Hmm. also talk I think it's spelled T-A-U-K. T-A-K. I just bought it. You've played Talk? 
we have not played it yet, but we we got it the other day from the Chicago Board Game Cafe. You guys are Talkman? Mm-hmm. That's where I was introduced to it, in fact. It's it's kind of like chess, but it's not chess. It's more about taking pieces off the board than putting pieces on the board. And it's a contemporary game, but it was designed to feel like it's a thousand years old. Yeah. If you like uh, the Kingslayer uh, Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss, it's a game that is described in that series of books, and it was designed by him and a, and a uh, board game designer. I do, I have not read those books, but uh, he's been a fun guest on a couple of podcasts that I've been on. So uh, yeah, that's a fun game. So ostensibly, Stan says it's fun. I haven't played it yet. Oh, it's super fun. So I have one to throw in. Please. Because... Uh, my spouse and I spent a good amount of time playing this on Saturday night, and that is a game called Illimat that was is presented by the Decemberists. No, the band the Decemberists. Oh my gosh! Yes, is there sea? Is it like a sea shanty themed? It is not sea shanty themed. It is tarot themed, which is maybe equally uh, Decemberist ish. But it's actually a really fun game that has uh, kind of like little hints of things like gin in it and a bit of kind of like matching games like that. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, we definitely played two games against each other. And I, I think that we're both looking forward to playing again. It's our two to four player game. So it kind of scales up. Um, it's cool. It's kind of like a twist on a game uh, that you can play with a traditional deck of cards, but it's got some extra stuff in it. And it's got all these weird, like, pieces and a weird fabric printed board and these little tokens and all these things. It's very, uh, very cool kind of design as well. That sounds rad. Shane, you live in a frat house, basically. What are some good games that you like to play with a larger group of people? Yeah, my, I, I do. My, my house is actually kind of like the center hub for some friends that live close by. I have a friend who lives a van life and is frequently literally in my backyard um, my sister and brother-in-law live close by now. So yeah, we've been playing some, some fun games, ones that my nephew can play sometimes too. He's younger. Uh, junk art is really fun. Uh, there's versions with wooden and plastic pieces. And basically it's, it's a ton of pieces in different shapes. And then there are a deck of cards that correspond to those shapes. And then there are sort of city environments that you sort of play through like an art tour. And you have different goals in each of those cities. So like New York might be, New York plays like a graffiti theme where it's like you, there's a cop card. That's like a, it's just a star that stands for the cops. And that's like two thirds of the way through the deck, but you don't know when it's going to happen. And uh, you need to build a tower that is as tall as possible until the cop card is drawn and then everyone has to run away figuratively. And then the one, the person who has like the, the tallest sculpture using the pieces that were drawn, this doesn't make a lot of sense. I understand there's a lot of like cool things you can do with these pieces. It's like a dexterity stacking uh, game. It's cool with my nephew cause he can, you know, he can work with the pieces just fine. We, you know, the, the course the, the classic contemporary classics like uh, code names is always great. Um, a newer game that everyone who knows games right now, I mean, everyone who's like a serious board gamer is going to be like, yeah, of course everyone knows wingspan. Uh, Wingspan's a really very pretty engine building game. And it's kind of like, it's like a, what do they call them? Like tableau engine builders. So you play out cards in front of you and you sort of, it's interesting for magic players because you kind of create little combos. Hmm. Like you're creating like a, 
an engine in front of you that really is like a, it's combo heavy and it's gorgeous and it's not too hard for people to pick up. So I would suggest, uh, it's, it's been hard to find for the past few months, but now it's finally, I think at its, uh, it's, it's plateaued and you can find it on Amazon for normal prices and stuff like that. So if you like beautiful engine builder card games, uh, highly recommended. It's got a birdhouse dice roller in it. Oh yeah. It does have a really cool dice tower, which is nice. Dice towers are cool. And plastic eggs. They look like malted milk eggs. Yeah, yeah, that's really dangerous. They look like Cadbury eggs. Yeah. Do not play this game around uh, the Easter times when everyone's buying those pastel. My wife loves those pastel eggs, and I was like, Nicole. They're delicious. Don't. Next question comes from our patron, Mickey, who asks, My PC cannot run Arena and Chrome at the same time. How much to upgrade, and is it worth it? So we're not going to get into pricing. But we do kind of want to talk about whether or not it's worth it to play Arena or MTGO and kind of generally reflect on what we like or don't like about playing Magic on any of the online interfaces. Worth noting that his question's about Arena and we wrote answers about Magic Online in the notes. That's, that's the, uh, there's, there's some Arena content in here. He's saying his PC can't run Arena and Chrome at the same time and our, the answers that we wrote in the notes both say... Oh man, I thought... You know what's funny is I really thought, I really thought he said Magic Online... But, so did I. But let's let's talk about both. Yes. I think Mickey will appreciate us acknowledging the spirit of the question, which is how can more people play Magic the Gathering on their computer? And is it worth it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Dave, you've been playing MTGO longer than anyone I know. Yes. My answer is it's totally worth it if you are somebody who is like me, who generally can't get out to the LGS and you just want to find a way to fit Magic into your life in moments that you can. Magic Online has only gotten better at that over the last few years, especially with the advent of leagues a number of years ago. What a game changer leagues were. How, how was anyone playing Magic Online before leagues? It was awful, to be honest. And I was definitely someone who fought, yeah. uh, not fought against it, but was kind of like skeptical about leagues, especially when it came to drafting, because that was mostly what I was doing. For sure. But... It's just so much better for your life to be able to play two matches and then go away for a day and then finish your last three or, you know, play seven matches or whatever, whatever it is you want to do. You can fit, you can scale the experience to whatever you want. Uh, and I think it's great. You know, people still have t- a hard time fitting in an entire match of Magic Online sometimes. And there's really no way to break Magic Online down into a smaller experience than that. But that is where Arena comes in, right? Sure. I think. Arena, of course, doesn't have Pioneer or Modern, um, but it's I think it's a really good way to get your Magic fixed a little bit more quickly. Like it's definitely a different engagement level for me than when I play Magic online, which is probably honestly why I play more Arena. Like I feel like I can fit in Arena a little bit better. Like if I want to sit down in my in front of my computer for a couple hours, yeah, I'm gonna try to get a Magic online. So Magic Online doesn't have any best of one formats, which I think is kind of what you guys are talking about in terms of like a really quick, easy, bite-sized experience. Yeah. yeah. Shane, are, are you playing best of ones on Arena? Oh, yeah. I only play best of one. Stan, can we vote him off of this podcast? Or? Yes. It's a, it's, a to- it's a totally different Magic experience. Like it's, it's, like a, it's, it's like a Magic-like game in best of one. Like the the game of arena, like I talked about maybe just last week or two weeks ago, it's like it's a gamified game, right? 
like there's a lot of like carrots in front of you for progressing along rewards tracks or finishing up like a daily quest or getting like some daily experience to like get some more cool stuff. And like for me, it's all about working towards Pioneer on Arena. Like I don't care about my standard collection right now. I have like I have a standard deck. And it's designed just to play fast and win enough games, like have a 55% win rate, and it's great. Play fast, win sometimes. But there's a lot of there's a lot of benefit of magic online though that we that you don't get with arena. Yeah. I think they're different products for different people. I don't play arena at all, and I won't until an eternal format that's good is on it, or and probably and there's a way for me to somehow uh, rent a collection or do some kind of subscription model or something like that where I don't have to grind. Dave, I'll tell you the subscription model. Spend like $75 every set release. That's a subscription model. That's how I can get every card? Not every card, but probably enough. Probably the cards you want if you're going to play like an eternal format. Hmm. All right, well, well, we'll come back to that once it matters. Yeah. But let's talk for a minute about a computer that can run Magic Online or Arena because I think Shane has some notes yeah, so what's amazing to me, and I'm this is not Watsy bashing, um, or not meant to be Watsy bashing at least, but Magic Online is a pretty clumsy piece of software because it's very old, mm-hmm. and it's somehow extremely resource hungry. Like I recently updated my computer from you know a couple generation ago processor to a new like Risen. 3000 series it's like you know 180 dollar processor or something like that right it loads magic online so much faster than it used to like to get to a playable state like log in to play on my laptop takes like literally 25 seconds maybe which is i find amazing but on my computer it's much 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 faster my desktop computer so i don't think you need to have a contemporary risen processor at all I think anything contempor- anything contemporary, like anything that is going to be sold at any store or even like is slightly used on Craigslist or something like that and has like 8 to 16 gigabytes of RAM, you're going to be A-OK with. Well, for Magic Online, so you gave me a computer, basically. Yeah, I gave you, I gave you, I gave you essentially um, the computer that I was using right. until this new one because I kind of I side-graded. So I can tell you that this computer is plenty fast for me anyway and opens Magic Online very quickly, and so I don't know whatever specs it has, really. Oh, it's old. I built that That computer is desk, like a, it is a mid-tier, like $800 computer from like 2015, 2016. Like it's like it's old. It's like four or five years old technology, right? It works great for what I do, which yeah. is basically the only thing I use this PC for is to play Magic Online. That's it. Arena, of course, though, has slightly more graphic-intensive things, right? So um, if you don't have a pretty good processor, I don't think it really leverages high-end GPUs that much, but it might. Um, but I think you're probably going to want... I mean, anything contemporary is going to run Arena fine. And I think that... You know, if you have something a little bit older and you want to have like 60 frames per second arena games, you want to be able to have stuff open in the background, um, then sure, you might want to ensure you have enough RAM. I think it's there, neither are softwares that are going to push your machine to its limits. And so I think any, you know, fun use tablet on the market, like I think that's a really fun way to play arena. So I use, uh, 
pretty like probably three to five year old Dell laptop, not a gaming machine to play MTGO. And I know I used to play Arena on it, so it can support that as well. I know Shane uses a Windows machine as well. Dave, until you got this computer from Shane, you were using a Mac to play MTGO. Yes. And I can say it works. Uh, I've until just getting this machine from Shane, like six, uh, I guess four months ago, I exclusively played Magic Online on um, Macs. Uh, I use Parallels generally for to run a PC on my machine. I will say um, you generally need a good amount of hard drive space free, and you need a, a pretty recent uh, Mac, I think, to do it. So the the laptop that I have right now, I was running it on a machine that was from 2011. For a while, probably I probably used that machine from like 2011 to 2016 or 17 or so, and it, it, by the end, it was starting to get really, really slow to play Magic Online. And my uh, current computer is a 2016, and it's starting to kind of fall off a little bit right now and have a hard time running it. Some of that might be because this machine just needs to be clean, like cleared basically and started over and like rebuilt basically. Um, I also use my Macs quite a bit for Adobe uh, Creative Cloud applications and those can just be really hard on the machine. So it's kind of like, you know, if I try to open parallels at the same time that I have After Effects open, like my machine will die basically because it's a laptop. So part of what I wanted to do was just, you know, Shane had his machine and said, why don't you just have this? So it's nice to have a, a, a rig that's just for Magic Online. But you can definitely play on on a Mac. And I think if that's your option, you can do it for basically the price of a Parallels license and the price of a uh, Windows license if you are a non-technically minded person such as I am. There are cheaper ways to do it if you know how to do things with software, but I don't really. <laughs> um, before we get away from the magic online stuff, I think versus the technology, I think because more people might be interested in exploring magic online uh, with not being able to go to their LGS as much or potentially not at all, um, magic online is going to be your lifeline to the full scope of magic. Yeah, that's my biggest hurdle when it comes to things like arena is I just want to play the same thing that I can play in those moments that I can play in paper. Right. And so I just want to play magic. That's part of the reason that I started getting into the rental services, managerators.com code, quote, the dive down one word, all lowercase, <laughs> but, um, you know, that's part of the reason that I like it is because it is exactly magic with the exception of the weird price differentials that there are somehow sometimes for certain cards. Yeah, so you can play all the constructed formats you want. You can play Modern and Pioneer, but you can play Popper, Legacy, Standards there too if you want to play it there. You can get you get real eight-person pod drafting if you're a limited player. So that's the only way you're going to still have real people you're drafting against instead of bots right now. Um, there's a there's cubes sometimes that some people really like. Um, vintage cube people love. Oh yeah, vintage cube, legacy cube, all the fun cubes. You get to play with power nine. Yeah, you get to play with the absolute best cards in Magic's history. You get all, you get tournaments too. Like if you like want some EV, if you want some stakes, there's the tournaments that we talk about all the time. Like there's there's some during the week, and then there's the bigger ones on the weekend. You can work towards entering those. You can just drop some cash and enter those. You can also play for free, essentially, in the practice rooms. Mm-hmm. And I think 
those can be fantastic. Sometimes you like will have a match cut short early because there's no stake in the practice rooms and people can just drop out whenever they want. But that's the minority of my experience. And if I ever want to throw a game, you know, basically play a throwaway game because I've got an extra hour or two, the practice rooms are like a really simple, non-committal way to play some magic without ever having to pay a sign-up cost. Magic Online, it does have great players on it. If you play in the leagues, specifically in Modern and Pioneer, they're straight up pros that are in there quite often playing because there is no mix between friendly and comp- or there's no separation between friendly and competitive anymore. It everybody's all mixed together. There's one league for each one of those formats. All the tournaments are kind of one difficulty level. I still believe that if you want to get super good at understanding the rules of Magic, that Magic Online is the best way to do that. Still, yeah, the way it just everything is represented on the stack as it would be if you were playing with like a rules engine in front of you in paper. So it's really good for learning the mechanics of the game, how the cards are actually working together. It's It makes you a better player. So we, we do have a bunch of questions still. I think we kind of focused on a few of the early ones because they were still kind of like news bits and how to help people think about playing when they don't have their LGS. Let's let's try to let's try to not lightning round exactly through these, but we can hit a bunch of these, right? Oh yeah, we got time. Scott L asked a question that I'm thinking about a lot lately. Four color snow control. Is it good enough to be the best control deck in modern? Stan, your take. Yes. Four color? Or Bant. Uh, you know, I guess that Scott did not specify the exact deck here. I, I'm not sure, you know, what the differentiator is between Bant and Four Color. It's typically just Blood Moon in the side, right? Correct. Okay. Blood Moon splashed off of Astrolabe, which is a wild thing to see people do, but yeah. guess what? I've seen a Singleton, a Singleton Sacred Foundry too sometimes, I think. Yeah. Well, I have to agree. I mean, I, I think that it definitely could be the best control deck, no doubt. I mean, it's not that far off from blue-white control. It's got some better tech. You can run uh, Veil of Summer in the sideboard, which is a great card to stretch into for green. And uh, there's lots of incentives to be playing that. Uro is incredible, and so that's another reason to stretch into green. And so from there, it's a pretty easy leap to just having Blood Moon in your sideboard. I don't see why not. Lots of people are picking it up. So Yeah, it's actually currently the most popular deck in modern on MTG Goldfish, which is pretty wild. That's crazy. That's new since yesterday. I think they must have just updated their stats. And and I think the reason behind it is that, and, and the point in Scott's question that I think is really important is whether this has what it takes to be the best control deck. You know, I'm not sure if this is necessarily the best deck outright, but what it's got going for it is A, the best removal, which is Path to Exile, some of the absolute best counter spells you have, which are Cryptic Command, Force of Negation, and Archmage's Charm, if you're into that sort of thing. Not to mention, and I include in this category, Veil of Summer, which is like the best counter hate you can have. It's the new Dovin's Veto, essentially. Cryptic Command, please. It's Cryptic Command. Thank you. One mana Cryptic Command. Also, Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath. What a killer. Yeah. It's so hard to kill without like graveyard hate or an exile effect. It keeps coming back. It trades with some of the absolute biggest creatures you have in modern and then just comes back a little bit later while accruing you a ton of value along the way. All right. Next question. Sam, what is the most powerful pioneer deck really against the whole field? And why is it apparently not inverter? (laughs) Shane. 
Hmm. I think what, what I think is actually nothing. That's my thought. I think that's why Pioneer's great right now is like Stan was saying, it's it's a dynamic metagame that is constantly going through cycles. Right now, what's probably the mono white Helia deck, if that becomes too oppressive, there are certainly ways to attack that deck. And I think that's why Pioneer is a pretty cool format right now. And that's it's not solved. And the, the power level is flat enough that nothing is too overpowered and breaking things, I think. That's what I think right now. I mean, I think Heliod is the best deck in Pioneer right now, but I don't think that means that it's going to be the next, next, best deck next week. And I think that's kind of what you're saying a bit too, Shane, is that that might be just be for the moment. I mean, I don't know how that happened, but I think that's just kind of where we are right now. What's interesting to me is how the Sultai Delirium deck kind of disappeared. And if you asked me maybe four weeks ago what the best deck against the field would be, I might have said Sultai Delirium because like a lot of mid-range strategies, it doesn't probably doesn't have super amazing matchups against a lot of things besides maybe Mono Red. Um, but it doesn't have super terrible matchups against a number of things. But it's not as popular as it used to be. So maybe it's not quite as good as people thought it was. I think Azarius Control has game against a lot of decks. I don't think it's the best deck. I think it certainly has ways to win every game it's in. I think Bent Spirits has ways to win every game that it's in. I think Mono White Devotion has ways to win probably nearly any game that it's in. So it's it's nice to see that. I think that you can pick a deck that you like, get really good with it, and you'd probably be good against most of the field. I'll tell you what doesn't have a way to win every game that it's in in Pioneer. Go ahead. Me. <laughs> I've had a couple of really rough leagues after that bad uh, bad regionals performance as well. Things have been rough around the old Dave household. We'll get back on it. Two things. First of all, Dave, it's because you're playing against the best of the best in the world. So leagues are harder now than ever before. True. What are you playing in Pioneer? Thanks for that little balm. So uh, lately, since the last time we did a podcast, I you know made good on my promise to pick up Inverter again and play some of that. So I did a league with Inverter a couple of days ago, and right now I am playing Bant Spirits. Mm. That's a good deck. Because I like Spirits, and I've liked Spirits in Modern for a long time, and I liked it in Pioneer the first time we played it. And so... Keeping it going. That deck can have some absurd draws, that's for sure. And also can grind through a lot of decks. Yeah, not yet for me, but we'll see what happens. You'll get there, Dave. I actually played a couple games with Spirits against Shane, and it was fun. Like, if I if I play Pioneer and Paper, I can actually see myself really enjoying this deck. Because Spell Queller. Yeah. What more can I ask for? I mean, it doesn't take much to keep Stan happy, and Spell Queller is one of the things that does. I'll attempt to quell that spell. Uh, next question comes from our friend Odin. Odin wants to know which other tribe is closest to a functional, modern, or pioneer deck. And bonus question, is there a real reason not to reprint Cavern of Souls at rare? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to take that one first? Seems like the easiest one. Financial equity is the real reason. Yeah, it definitely is the real reason. I think it's worth pointing out that um, Cavern of Souls was a rare yeah. in Avacyn, and so it was upgraded when it was reprinted, which is kind of a bummer, but uh, it is what it is. 
My favorite is when they upgrade uncommons to mythic, like force of will. How many times has that happened? That's a good question. Is it just force of will? Maybe. Is aether is aether vial still rare? Aether vial is a rare. It was originally an uncommon. That's true. So other tribes, I've been seeing slivers pop up a little bit. You have been for sure. We've been seeing a little bit of slivers. It feels like it's on the precipice. Maybe one more sliver set could put in like a couple really aggressively costed cards to take it over the edge. And I think one of the cards in particular that makes slivers a little better now than it was a year ago, essentially since the printing of Modern Horizons, is that red-white flying haste creature. Yeah, the... The sliver? Yeah, the sliver. Slivery sliv? Yeah, what's the creature type on that red-white flying haste? All other creatures with the shared creature type sliver yeah okay it was a cloud cloud gale sliver or something wild like that like cloud ripper yeah cloud razor cloud blazer that sounds good why do they all have such crazy names those slivers those slivers are so crazy you guys they're wild (laughs) how crazy are they so crazy all right, my pick for a uh, tribe that I think is closest is zombies. I think actually both in Pioneer, uh, mostly because there's that wi- there's that rally kind of combo zombies deck that's kind of right on the edges that's pretty good. Uh, I don't know if you all remember that from around the time of the Mythic Championship. People were giving that a little bit of hype. Uh, and then I also think there might be a chance that zombies or elementals could get close in Modern. Uh, elementals is mostly a little hat tip to Stan, uh, because of Skelemental. Let's see that get good. See, I think I think Teamer Elementals could be a thing. I mean, yeah, it is close, right, Stan? It's already a thing. But is it Elemental Tribal, or is it... It is. It's literally Elemental Tribal. It is a deck. Hey. Whoa. It uses that card from Lorowin. That's like that two mana that lets you find more Elementals. Yeah, the Harbinger. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, what, Flamekin Harbinger? Flamekin Harbinger, yeah. Yeah, that that's the glue. And I think like a Simic or a Teamer Elementals could be a thing in like Pioneer or potentially Modern on the back of Risen Reef and like Master of Waves. Also, haven't we seen some sprinkles of is it Wizards in Pioneer too? Yeah. It doesn't seem to be like a format staple yet per se, but like will every once in a while show up in a league dump. It'll even like sometimes show up in the top eight of a tournament. Is there any real payoff card though or synergy card besides the the lightning and the retort. Those are pretty good payoff cards. Yeah, that's certainly true. But there's not like a there's not like a wizard lord is there or like cards that are like drawing other cards from wizards that the people are playing. Well, there's Adelie's the Cinderwind. And that's his play? Just occasionally, I think, right? Cool. Cool wizard. Yeah, maybe just sometimes. And I think that's as close as we have to a wizard lord and pioneer that I can think of. And it's only a Lord when you cast an instant or sorcery, but that's what wizards want to do. All right. Next up, Eric asks, will we ever get to see Wiltleaf Liege see play and modern again? I think the answer is probably not Eric. I'm sorry. Very sorry, Eric. I have to also say probably not the, the time for like, you know, the little kid Abzan, I believe the deck was called, like just sort of an Abzan mid-range aggro deck with Whitleaf Liege pumping everything is probably not the power level of our modern nowadays. I'm not sure Whitleaf Liege would see play in Pioneer. That's scary. Wow. When was this good? I've never seen a Whitleaf Liege on the table before. In like Khan's era, like 
sort of 2014-ish, 2015-ish. It's also pretty meta-dependent, right? Because you're occasionally relying on the discard part of it yes. to have it be good. You're, you know, you're subsidizing being up against a metagame that's filled with mid-range decks playing Thoughtseize yeah. as part of this, right? And so, or for that matter, Liliana of the Veil. Yes. And you could you could stack you could sort of stack your deck up with what like Loxodon, whatever his name was, that would if it got discarded, went to the battlefield and Right. So yeah, I don't think so anymore. But it's a fun card. You can certainly play with it all you want. I have a GP stamped Wiltleaf Liege. If someone wants to try it out, let me know. Next question com- comes from Judson. I'm not interested in Pioneer currently. Why do you play Pioneer? Shane, I feel like this is your bailiwick. Let's sell Judson on Pioneer and other people who might be skeptical still. I mean, I think we've been doing a pretty good job of that this episode, right? Which is the dynamic metagame, the ability to experiment. I mean, we talk about streamers like Aspiring Spike, and there are others who uh, bring a brew to the table that becomes a deck becomes a real deck or is a deck that's perfectly worth playing, uh, responds to the meta, can do cool things. I think that it's nowhere near as figured out. And also I think people are more interested in experimenting in the format with it because the power level of the best decks are not so good that they squeeze out brews. And I think that's a really valuable thing for a lot of people. Can I give you a slightly alternate take on why I think Pioneer is awesome? I would love it. I love to consume magic content. I also love content. And Pioneer is a new place for me to look at magic content that is updated frequently, that makes me not have to wait in between different uh, deck dumps for modern or different people are putting out modern content, uh, waiting in between modern tournaments. Pioneer, I, you know, I feel like I have enough capacity in my like brain to be able to be excited about mostly excited about modern still to be honest like that's the format that i'm more interested in but i like to keep one eye on pioneer and just kind of see what's going on there just so i have more kind of content to consume and so even though i'm not fully playing it i still like to keep up with it so i don't think you have to commit to start to be kind of interested i guess is what i'm saying but modern's still awesome i have a quick question to you guys about pioneer though so we've established that it's a very quickly evolving metagame very dynamic compared to something like modern, for instance. Does that mean to keep up with Pioneer and stay competitive, you have to be willing to frequently either update your deck or pivot decks? I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because I think, like I've said a few times, is I think the power level is flatter. So, I mean, people are still running mono black aggro out. Yeah. And sometimes winning with it. And that deck's been extremely similar for months and months and months now. I think that at this point, Pioneer has stabilized. So you you weren't rushing out to get like new play sets of the latest sideboard tech card for a card that maybe got banned the next week or the deck didn't become tier one any longer because it had like Oath of Nyssa or uh, Leyline of, of and none of anticipation, Leyline of Abundance banned from it. So I think that it's it's stable. So at this point, I think you could pick any one of the decks that's performing well that speaks to your play style and play it for a good amount of time. I don't necessarily think that it's always going to be the same power level, but I think that you could play a number of decks right now that are probably between like 47 and 53% win rates. 
And hey, that's a higher win rate than I have. So deck, drag me up that mountain. So Stan, you're, you've been playing a ton of modern lately, though. Judson, the second half of Judson's question was kind of about, you know, how do you all feel about modern right now? We talked about that a little bit. You've been playing it. What are you playing in modern and what are you, what are you enjoying? Well, I've been cooped up in my house for the last three or four days, and I've mostly played Magic the Gathering. That's kind of been my de facto way to kill time. Even if I'm on the couch with my fiance and we've got like the television on, I've got a laptop on my lap, keeping my thighs warm. Sure. While I click away. So I've, I think I've literally played every deck I've ever enjoyed in the last four days. Like, that's amazing. Dude, I went deep. I played a league with green black elves today. <laughs> and you know what? My results have been pretty flat. Okay. I'm getting a lot of two threes, unfortunately. Mm. Some burritos. I, I would say like I mostly get a three two burrito, but with a deck like elves, I'm I'm mostly getting two threes. I played some black red skelemental. I actually streamed that on Saturday night. This new Croxa build that our patron Nikki B put this list together for me and I and I ran it out. Nikki was actually in my chat and we he helped me out a lot making some difficult decisions. So that was pretty fun. Playing a lot of blue white stoneblade. Like a lot. I won't play blue white unless I'm playing the stoneblade version and I'm loving it. I would have played Bant, but I can't afford it. Um putting a pretty decent results with blue white stoneblade, in fact. And I did one league over the weekend where I went 3-0, and then in round four, I got paired against Sodek. Mm. Yes. <laughs> that was hard. He killed me. <laughs> he dredged me out so fast. So that was a good time. Um, heck, I even played a little Just Guy Stoneblade, because why not? That was a deck for a while. That was a deck for a while, and I've been, like I said, digging at the bottom of the barrel. But I think Modern is fantastic right now. I just... I feel like the best decks are ones that you can beat if you decide that you want to target them. And what will often happen is you'll never get paired against them if you start to target them. But I think that's cool too. Like I love the paper, scissor, rock formula that's happening in modern right now, especially. And we don't have any like Oko's truly killing the format. I think we can talk later about whether Uro is a problem or whether Uro is actually the new Oko. But until we get to that, I feel like you don't have anything truly messing up modern and you have a little more room to like play your favorite deck and get good with it and try to find ways to hate out some of the top of the meta while also it's super clear what the top of the meta is. Well, why don't we talk about Uro really quickly? Uh, Let us. Our patron and friend Lawson asked us, is Uro the new Oko? Could Uro be even better than Oko? Hmm. Well, should we kind of lay out the argument for the comparing the two? Sure. Gains you a bunch of life. Puts you up on cards via land. Really hard to kill because it just keeps coming back. It all sounds good. Yeah. Doesn't really affect your permanence, which was one of the things that was the hardest to deal with with Oko, right? Is that, yes, it draws you an extra card, so you have more answers in Uro, but... You don't get to play it and then immediately turn my threat into an elk. Yeah. I think in that sense, I haven't played enough matches yet where Uro really destroyed me to be able to feel like it's abusive in that way. But you have played a lot more. 
And I know Shane has played a good a good amount more than me lately. I just haven't run into a bunch of Uro decks online in the last couple of weeks. Um, I it, I know it's fully powerful. It is the pillar of a bunch of really powerful decks, but um, I don't feel as bad when it's played against me as I did with Oko ultimately. An important factor about Uro versus Oko, I think, is one, the new Oko, I think, looks at it through the lens of primarily modern right now. I don't think it's too good for Pioneer. It's definitely not too good for Standard. So is Uro the new Oko in modern? Potentially, because the ability that modern has to fill the graveyard. But what Oko did is invalidate so many text boxes mm-hmm. on a card, right? And it made magic not what it is supposed to be, which is playing powerful cards and seeing the benefit of those cards and having fun using the abilities of the creatures and spells and artifacts that you put into your deck. And Oko just made the deck all about Oko and the game all about Oko. And resolving an Oko changed the way every game was played, and Uro does not do that. Yeah, I, I will say Death Shadow is not splashing Uro yet. Mm-hmm. And so I don't feel like it, I, I feel like that would be a sign. And I also think if we were seeing like lol decks like burn with Uro in it, that's where I would start to get more worried about it. And that's, that's not happening either. So I think <laughs> Uro is an extremely powerful mid range card, but I don't think it's like, quite there as far as what it's going to do to the metagame it's also so much easier to answer with a single card of your own you know path to exile is really good against uro whenever i see my opponent cast an uro then i know to bring in graveyard hate as well yeah i think it's worth pointing out that uro may have shifted the balance of power in modern a little bit and made path to exile the best removal spell instead of fatal push which is totally possible right i mean path of exile has been sort of was sort of maligned for a couple of months there i think because there weren't as many resilient creature threats and now you need it It, it's good to try to play with white cards so i think that that um you know that might have happened but that's just a thing that happens sometimes you know what i think it's time for Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. what's that s for control s for control Wow. Zach, Zach Allen, get off our podcast. Zach Allen was playing Bant Control in the uh, modern, yeah, the modern yeah, challenge that we just did, by the way. I think he came in ninth. So I think we know where his head's at. He's not playing black cards right now. Yeah, the problem with Esper is you can't play Veil of Summer. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Would be good. Uh, I do want to give an extended shout out to Lawson a little bit. Uh, he's been streaming for more than a week for 12 hours a day on Twitch. Wow. Oh. I don't well, I think he's like twenty years old. So that's part of how <laughs> I'm assuming Lawson's on spring break. I think Lawson might be on extended spring break right now, given the way the world is working at moment. But if you want to check him out, he was also a guest on Faithless Brewing a couple of weeks ago. Um but uh his handle on Twitch is Zanman1414. So uh check him out. Sometime he's streaming quite often. Yeah, he likes taking donation decks from other viewers. He's one of those modern players who's both good with the decks he picks up, and I get the sense that he'll play anything. So if that sounds like a nice grab bag, variety, fun viewing experience for you, Lawson gets the dive down endorsement. This next question from Oralox is an interesting one, kind of a thought experiment. 
Would it be so bad if MTG sets were released as online only for some amount of time before they get printed in paper? It seems to me that this would allow for Watsi to correct potential power issues or address other concerns in real time before delivering the cards for pre-release. There's an issue with this, and it is that the cards are made final because of the reality of paper, so they can't really tweak it after the fact. They would have to release it to the masses, like, probably, what What do you think, Dave? Nine months? A year? I mean, I don't think it's a year. I mean, I'm sure that their production cycles are about that long just for them to have maximum efficiency of, like, cost, right? Yeah, but they, I mean, it would be at least six months, probably between releasing a file, doing all the color proofing, making sure the art's done, going on press, getting it printed, getting it packed, getting it fulfilled, getting those things shipped to all the distributors. Sure. The, the supply chain that goes into any product is kind of massive. And with something as with as many different pieces of like details as Magic has, it's it would be a long time so i think it's funny that you you are like here's all the logistical problems with dave's career (laughs) (laughs) let's put those out there and that's why wizards can't really do this my my take on this is a little bit more along the lines of just kind of appreciating magic for what it is and what it is is that magic is a game that can break Mm. and it can break badly and in a way that you uh you know can only be rectified by banning cards in certain contexts you know, errata is not really a a plausible thing to do uh, in the same way that they can do on on Hearthstone or something like that, where they decide to just change what a card does. Yeah, I think that that's a thing that we should celebrate about Magic, or not necessarily celebrate, but just kind of like if you're here, like you kind of have to accept that that's part of the game. I do think that given the track record in the last year, like R and D needs to slow their roll a little bit and like calm down on some of the super powerful cards. But um, that's part of what makes magic exciting. And so I don't think I would do it from a, from a philosophical viewpoint, just because I want the game to be exciting. One thing I think this also brings up is that it could potentially change the online and the paper experience really drastically. And I know I talk about this a lot, but I like using Magic Online to extend my paper magic experience. And when you have like this whole pool of cards available on the internet that aren't available for people to play at their LGS, either you've got like new formats ostensibly that are only exclusive to like a certain group of players, or it limits the type of testing that you could potentially put in before tournaments, before events, whatever. So what I like about Magic and Arena online right now is that it kind of unifies the whole magic world for people who can't play in paper they can get a really similar experience to paper on their computer as well i want to talk about uh one of our twitter followers at ranger wellsford who asks what decks are you all playing right now which i think we kind of answered but do you guys play commander and if so what decks how is deck building a commander different and I don't think any of us are big commander players. I think we all have played commander, right? I under protest. Yeah. I I will tell you I did I quit commander after playing with who I thought were my friends. And <laughs> Have you never played he, commander since that game? No, I I no, I quit I quit commander. I quit commander after that game because he that was like that was like three years ago oh it was like probably four years ago he, he yeah he what he did like an armageddon effect he played jockle hops 
and just just stymied every. Did it kill all artifacts too? Like, was it just everything? Uh, I, it was. It was. It was. It was basically just a complete game reset, and so everyone was just top decking, and it was miserable. It was like, why? Why did you do that? Except I won afterwards, and so I was happy about that. Yeah, but um. I don't play Commander primarily because I think that I don't have the brain space for it, and I, I don't. I wouldn't have the time or ability to focus on it as much as I would like to. And also, I think it really, really, very much requires people you like playing with who are also playing Commander. And I don't have like a cool group of people that I play with all the time. I have that. I have a cool, cool group of people that I only play commander with stands like i have friends and you guys don't <laughs> i moved and i'm old my favorite way to engage with commander you know i sort of have the same issues as shane does where like i can't pour myself into commander for the same reason i can't pour myself into standard and that's just because my brain has finite space and i spend so much of that space absorbing modern content and some pioneer content and because i'm not a full-time magic professional i have to draw the line somewhere So when I play Commander, I'm usually doing it with some combination of either pre-constructed decks that Wizards makes that I then update with pieces from my modern collection or just like random powerful cards that I've collected from cracking packs over the years. Or just massive piles of cards because I have a bunch of modern staples across colors and I like playing these cards. I don't always get to play them at the LGS, so I'll slap them into a modern deck. So... I've got, you know, Grixis Wizards that's been upgraded a little bit. I've got that green-white cats slash equipment deck that I've upgraded a little bit. My Stoneforge Mystic Package helped out there. <laughs> I even have that Mardu Vampires deck um, that is, is like the best Commander Precon I think ever made. It's, it's, it's basically banned, right? Isn't it kind of like... I don't know if it's banned. I don't know what the Commander Banned list looks like, but it's really good. The Eminent... Or eminence ability on that main commander is just insane. It makes so many one-one vampires. Yeah, the only commander deck that I have, which is like vaguely sleeved up still, is I have an Aloro Ageless Ascetic commander deck, which is a commander that people hate playing against. Yeah, it's very good, but I think it's great, and because it, it draws cards and it gains you life, and I get to play cards like Propaganda and Sphere of Safety and uh, Ghostly Prison and all those kind of things. Um, I also sort of have it as like a place where I just put my favorite cards that are old. So, for example, I have a beta demonic tutor that is in there just for fun. I have an alpha island sanctuary, even though it's not a good card, it's just in there. Um, really, it's just kind of a collection of weird things that I've gotten over the years that I just think are cool. And uh, I never play it. So, <laughs> people seem to like it in my game store. Um, you know, my my LGS seems to play every format besides Popper with great regularity. So I'm glad that people can engage in Magic in that way. Yeah, Commander is super important to Magic, and we welcome people who love it. It's just not us. All right, our next question comes from Simon Grip. As a relatively new player, I struggle with finding a deck archetype or archetypes. Any good tips for finding out what I want to play? What a question. I pay for two Magic the Gathering websites. One of them is Star City Games. The other is MTG Goldfish. The reason I pay for MTG Goldfish is twofold. I go there literally every day to look at decks. And I also uh, put my collection in there, which gives me some added value. Uh, any website I go to every day, I'm going to give some money to. Um, 
the way I use MTG Goldfish, and I think at least you do too, Dave, um, I look at the the deck metagame section, which has every format, including Modern and Pioneer. Uh, and what I do there is I just look at kind of the frequency of, of decks showing up and, and doing well. I kind of see what fits the, the cards I have, the cards I want to play with, and and go from there. And I kind of I monitor changes there. I look at uh, what people are putting on their sideboards and kind of create like sort of meta sideboards. I think something you said there is really important and it kind of encapsulates encapsulates my journey as a magic player and i always like to start with the cards that i like playing so if there's any specific like creature or removal spell or class of cards like counter spells or mana rocks that you really enjoy you can look at the decks you know mtg goldfish is a great resource for this but you get to look and find decks that have those types of cards in them and i think you go from there one thing you kind of want to be weary of sometimes is finding almost false positives like i.e decks that have cards you like but they're a play style that you don't particularly enjoy like snapcaster mage and grixis shadow (laughs) very unintuitive snapcaster mage deck not what i expected that's funny i think for me this is another question that i that is so much more like philosophical than it is functional like shane i think you gave a bunch of good tips on like how to find content like how to find ideas yeah, that's that's that, that's like the kind of answer I would give, right? right. Like <laughs> a little bit the nuts and bolts. I think I think the question here really comes down to like, what are your goals for being a magic player? Like, what parts of magic do you derive enjoyment from, right? And so, if you are a person, you know, I think the three of us for the most part really f- like to win. We don't always win. We don't think we win often but that's like the over overarching goal in some ways is to try to win and i think if you're a player who values that you know someone who thinks of yourself in that spike kind of archetype of people then what i would say is if you're a new player and you're someone who wants to try to improve your game and that's your goal uh, i would pick an aggro deck that you like in either modern or pioneer and start there and get to know the meta and play that deck for a while to understand what kind of gameplay you like and what kind of other things you think are interesting. The reason I say that is twofold. One is you can probably learn how to play an aggro deck a little bit faster than some other decks. You'll also you also have something with a proactive plan so it's clear what you should be doing with your cards all the time. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is that aggro decks tend to be not that expensive. Yes. And so either on Magic Online or in paper if you pick up something like Mono Red Prowess in Modern, you'll get good bang for your buck to have a tournament-worthy deck and also something that's not that hard to play while you're trying to figure out where to go next in your Magic career. And also, feel free to proxy stuff. I've mentioned this in past episodes. Don't run out and feel like you have to you know, buy Jund, you buy Simic Delirium, uh, and just to find out, I don't really love mid-range. It's a... You know, I, I want to have a a, a, a set a static plan nearly every game. Um, feel free to just draw on draw on a pile of of planes and just say, "This is Uro. Do I like Uro?" Yeah, Shane, do you want to start a sister podcast where we just poo poo on mid range for two hours a, a week? Well, it is dead. I thought that I thought that podcast was called the Dive Down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Stan, what do we have next? Next question comes from a personal friend of ours, Alec Castro of Lands. 
a Chicago area player who I get to see sometimes at magic tournaments. We saw him at SCG regionals. Really cool dude. Love to see Alec. I got to meet him. Nice guy. And he asks a local question because everyone loves local questions in their, in their MTG content. Alec asks, what's your favorite obscure place to go in Chicago or Denver? And what do you like about it most? Or Denver, I guess. Let's, let's use the actual text here. I think we can also package this with the question from the noob 747 who asks, favorite fast food restaurants? Well, that's pretty different stuff. That's not obscure at all. I like, I love What's that your favorite I love, obscure fast food know, restaurant? I, when, I, when I go to Chicago, I like to go to my favorite obscure fast food restaurant, Pizzeria Uno. Great. Nailed it. <laughs> well, we know the best pizza is at Sparrow's. Sparrow's. My favorite New York slice. One of my favorite obscure places in Chicago, uh, which don't get too excited by the name. It's called the Chicago Magic Lounge. But it's not Magic the Gathering. It's illusions. Magic. It's like illusions. It's it's close up magic. It's like cards behind your ear type of thing. And the reason it's kind of obscure is because when you walk in, it looks like a laundromat. Oh. And you have to like push on a secret door and it opens up into this bar where like the bartenders are doing magic while serving you drinks and and chicken wings. Love it. Dave, what about you? You're still a local. I will throw out Really quickly, uh, this is a place I don't get to go often, but is a very cool place if you have never been to it before and you're in Chicago. It is called Marie's Pizza and Liquors. Okay. So not Maria's Packaged Goods. It's not Maria's Packaged Goods. That is a cool place as well, but that's a hipster place. You should go there if you're feeling fancy. Marie's Pizza and Liquors is an old school, just pizza joint that is in the back of a liquor store on the northwest side. Uh, it's got vinyl booths from like the fifties. They have like live bands hanging out there and stuff. It's got good tavern cut pizza, which is the true Chicago pizza in my mind. Deep dish can you forget about deep dish? You want your tavern cut? Marie's Pizza and Liquor is the place to go. I don't know if I ever really had an obscure place when I lived in Chicago. I, I really I think Ground Control is one of the most slept on restaurants in Chicago. Although as Logan probably encroaches on you know further west and west, people are probably more and more aware of it. Uh, I think Ground Control is the best vegetarian restaurant that I've probably ever been to. Wow, it is very rich food. Like it is, it's vegan enchiladas. It's good. Um, in Denver, if you're a Denver local, I would say I think my favorite place to go to in Denver right now for I'll, I'll give a beer beer recommendation for Denver. Beerstadt Lager House. Definitely not obscure. Definitely some of the most true to style, like German style beer you can get. They have like a slow pour pills that is truly perfect Pilsner. They have a lot of awesome other lagers. Uh, they have some in-house ciders that are really good as well. If you're a cider person, the German, like the pretzels and whatnot is really cool. And if you want to have some fun with friends on the lower level, the ground level, they have like giant, uh, lawn games. So they have like giant sort of beer pong that like you chuck like a basketball into like oil drums and they have like giant, uh, bag toss with like bean bags, things like that. So if you want to screw around, have some drinks on the weekend, you can go do that. Or if you just want to enjoy some really good German style beer, I would recommend that. Great. All things for us to check out another time in the future. In a couple of months when you visit. 
in a couple of months when we're allowed to leave our houses again. Exactly. That's what I mean. Do you guys eat fast food? For sure. Love it. Dave, I know what your answer is because it's a block from your house. My favorite fast food? Based on frequency of getting. There's no way it's McDonald's. No. <laughs> no. I mean, truthfully, my favorite is probably uh, Arby's or Taco Bell if we're talking about like the giant fast food chains. I love Taco Bell. Yeah. They're both gross, but uh, they're amazing. Taco Bell is bay. Really? That's your number one, Stan. Yeah. It's up there. I mean, the Popeye's chicken sandwich, I think, is actually a work of art. It gives Popeye's like a claim to the throne. Yeah, I, I haven't eaten meat since the new year. Um, and so I, I no longer can get the burgers and chicken sandwiches that I, I love still. I mean, I love them. But I do love the places that have the impossible patties. I'm loving, I'm loving the spread of the impossible and beyond patties, especially the impossible. It is borderline crazy how real it is. Um, so yeah, I think Burger King with the impossible Whopper right now is definitely stepping up and I, I do love me a Whopper. I can second that is Outback fast food. It depends how quickly you get your order in. I, I like Outback Steakhouse. That's my favorite like bad ish restaurant to go to. I guess Dude, that, that food was good. Yeah, it's good. All right. The last question of tonight comes from Dave H. Dave H. Who's actually on the show with us. So I, I have one quick question. So we, we make a podcast. We love podcasts. I think podcasts have this weird magical ability to help people through tough times. Okay. Like whether it's tough times personally or, you know, I think we're all kind of like in a weird spot right now. And I would love to hear the favorite podcast or a podcast you would want to share non-magic related or magic related if you want that you feel like is something that you just like to listen to um you know have just it has that aura of friendship around a podcast right and so if there's someone who you would go to as your kind of comfort food right now what would it be stan and shane go for it stan i believe we may have mentioned this on the show earlier i i think dave can probably predict what i'm gonna say but there's a show called do by friday that i never miss an episode of And it's weird because they talk about like somewhat heavy issues sometimes. They'll talk about politics, they'll talk about COVID, and like they'll get frustrated and and share their sadness and emotions. But they're also really funny people, and it always kind of comes back to that. And Dubai Friday is made by one of the creators of Cards Against Humanity. Um, So you get like some of that weird humor, as well as a veteran podcaster Merlin Mann is on it. So you just get like a weird cross section of personalities and they all are super passionate people that talk about like topics that normally I try to avoid when I'm looking for entertainment and solace. But Dubai Friday, just I always come back to it because I feel like I'm chilling with my buddies. You might not be surprised to hear this answer and it is the 538 Politics Podcast. No, I, I never miss an episode. It's, you know, I was looking like, what what podcast would I recommend because I never miss it, and it's 538 Politics. And the reason is, it's very, it's very much a Shane podcast, right? It is a lens into the world of politics through data with people who are good at talking about that. They are people who, who think about the world of politics through a specific lens. And I think that politics is such a large world that you have to look at it 
through a specific lens, which is why I think we like doing our podcast the way we do it. We look at magic through the lens of modern and pioneer. We're not a news podcast. We don't talk about current events of magic. We talk about this world for casual spikes of modern and pioneer. That's what I like about Fire 38. They're good at what they do. It's not too long, not like our podcast, um, and it's always interesting. All right, the name I'm going to throw out there, uh, probably my favorite podcast at this point, is uh, The Flophouse. They're so funny. Which is a totally different thing, which is a bad movie podcast uh, with a couple of people who used to write for The Daily Show. One still writes for The Daily Show, um, and a, a guy who owns a couple of very cool bars uh, in New York. And what they do is they review bad movies. They listen, they watch a bad movie, and then they talk about it. And it has been going for, um, they just had their 300th episode. They've only been, uh, they only put episodes out every two weeks. So that means that they've been podcasting together for, I think it's 12 years, uh, essentially. And so uh, you can, in these times, if you have a lot of time for podcasts, there's a lot of back catalog in the Flophouse, and you can listen to them anytime. They're timeless. Eight years ago are still good. And so I encourage you to check them out. Um, you don't have to watch the movies in order to watch it. In fact, it's probably better if you haven't watched the movies to listen to it. Yeah, the first episode is from August 13th, 2007. Oh my gosh. So if you want to get uh, at something with a deep back catalog, check out the Flophouse. Well, I feel better. I feel like we can get through this together. Yeah. Not only among the three of us, but with all of our friends in the Dive Down Nation. Yeah, if, if you thought this episode was a little weird, it wasn't your speed, you wanted something more focused, more strategic, um, this week kind of threw us all for a little bit of a loop. I think we were kind of trying to wrap our heads around what was changing around us. Um, look for us to bring back the dive down content you know and love. And if you like this episode, let us know. Yeah, I'm not going to guarantee we're going to do go all the way back 100% next week, but let's see how it goes. You know, we, we, we're going to be here. We want to be here for you all. And, uh, we, especially after today with the whole uh, donation kind of poll thing and talking to people in the nation, I, you know, we, it's about, uh, it's about the connection in addition to the information, right? And so, uh, that's what we're going to continue to try to deliver on. Well, that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episode as soon as it comes out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to a future episode of The Dive Down or pick our brain on something in modern or pioneer, tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon, where joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret Slack channel. Find that over at patreon.com slash thedivedown. As always, shout out to manatraders.com for sponsoring the podcast. You can sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the Dive Down, all one word, and get 15% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. Of course, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and wash your hands. Stay in there and wash those hands. 20 seconds. Sing happy birthday twice. Scrub those cuticles. Stay indoors and wash your hands.
Yeah, all right, I'm back here with the dive down. I don't know what this accent is. I can't hear myself because of these cans. So like, oh, I forgot to put my uh, monitor on. I need to. Fin- I have to learn to monitor myself. I'm like going a little crazy. Stan, your your British accent is so it's bad. It's Really, really bad. It's so unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I could do a better one when I uh, when I can hear myself. <laughs> I don't believe you. Hey, yo, governor, you calling my accent bad? Core, core. <laughs> in it. Core blimey, isn't it? Okay. Bit of an accent, in it? Yeah. That's not terrible. It's pretty bad. Yeah, it's all right. Okay. Bit of a cheeky lad. He is. God, Lou, please don't put that into the episode. 